Hello and welcome to Shooting the Shit with Vicky. And my guest today is my friend Teo Penglis. Teo! Oh my God. I love, how, how do you start a show saying shitting, shooting the shit, shooting the shit? I mean, it's like. I said this is shooting the shit and it isn't. This is game change. You know, I, I'm telling you, I have been in the house too long. This is game changers with yes. Vicky Abelson and Teo Penglis. I have shooting the shit the other day. I've lost my mind. It's okay. That's okay. It, it's it's the old school stuff, you know, when you hear things when it's... All right, this is going to make a, a, a sound for a second. I'm, I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to bring up a, a, a file there today. so that we can see That's who's... Okay. That's so it, we can see who's watching. It's the old school stuff, you know, when you hear things when it's... <sighs> no, All right, this yeah. is going to make a, a, right, a sound so for a second. I'm, I'm going to do something. For more than a second. Uh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm trying to make it so that we'll be able to see when people join us. Hi, Jan. And we'll be what? able to talk to people and take their is questions. There? Is Jan there? Jan is here. Oh, uh, hello, Jan. <laughs> and um, and Mickey's here. We're going to have uh, lots of your friends here as well as mine. The COVID crazies are going to be here. And we're going to talk about, Teo, I don't know how you can possibly look so good after a year of pandemic. So I, I told you before the show, hi, Tova that we have the COVID crazies who watch this show, which is why I, I was thinking shooting the shit because that's what we do uh, the other days. Um, tell me something about what, what were you doing when the lights went out? What were you doing when we hit the, the stay at home? You know, part of the way you fill yourself up is depending on the experience you've had in the foundation you build. Right. For me, it's been a history of building, uh, especially in the journeys that I've taken and the artwork that I've collected along the way. Right. Um, there's something about when you surround yourself with art, uh, as the Chinese used to say, mm -hmm. you know, the spirit of the artist always is with the piece. Um, each piece that I have has a story, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and how I discovered them. So I remember one day when I was getting to be a little bit bored, I even found myself not being able to concentrate on reading. I would sit on my couch and then I would look up and I looked at every piece and remembered the history of every piece. And that filled me up because each piece had a history to it, a journey to it. And so that would happen every day for a long time because I have so many pieces. I would walk over to them. I would sit on the couch and look at it. I would have my Greek coffee. And before you knew it, I'd watch the news in the morning and downstairs all afternoon, I would, if I wasn't doing that, I would be writing. And so it never, the time never got ahead of me. You know, I was in charge of my time and I never got bored, you know, because I always think when people say they're, they're bored, I always say, no, you're boring. And that, my mother has said my whole life, only boring people get bored. Right. There's so much, you know, that, don't you want to complete what you're meant to do what in this lifetime? Why want to come back and make it harder for yourself? So I always say, uh -huh. face the completions, you know, that's very important. Do you think you, you're, you've bumped into any souls in this life that you have unfinished business with? Too many. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> don't, and don't you want to finish the work so you can leave them in this life? Oh and my God, you know, and then I said, what did I do that you had to cross my path? <laughs> You know, um, but you know that's all part of the humor as well. You know, it's. I, I, I think when you can be self-deprecating, mm. I think as an actor, it also helps your humor because you don't take every line seriously. Mm. A lot of actors, the young actors, haven't been trained to throw lines away. 
you know, we were just talking about that before we went on the air. You were saying that you feel like there's less humor uh, with with on sets these days. Why do you think that is, Teo? Oh, firstly, they don't have the time to develop. You know, they're basically on the line. They're mm -hmm. still at the edge. We don't have the time like we used to, where we were able to study our lines, go in, rehearse three or four times, be with our partners. But now, you know, you go in, you get the COVID test, and then you've got to go to your dressing room for two hours, and you sit there. God forbid you get bored in that square that you're sitting in. And then you have to go when they call you, and then you do your makeup, and then you go to wardrobe if that's necessary. And then they'll call you for, for each scene that goes, that goes on. But I, I just found that everybody's rather serious, you know? They've taken the, the drama uh, that's off stage and they bring it on stage rather than being separate. Because to me, once you get dressed and put those shoes on and you walk into the studio, something about you will have changed merely because you, you concentrated on what you were going to wear, mm -hmm. how you're going to say certain things. Mm -hmm. And that ca carries you in and this kind of shoes you wear because to me, when the walk is very important, you know, that strut is very important. So I see people coming in with their, especially with women, they're wearing soft shoes and all this, and then they've got to put the, sh the heels on when they get in and they don't use that time from, the, from going from the gate into the studio to take in the character. And we don't have that much time anymore. So it's very fast. So when you're doing eight shows a week uh, and you're doing, you know, maybe two shows a day, three shows a day, it gets to be, you know, uh, tough. And so you're at the edge. So you don't have time. Um, you, you look at Peter O'Toole, for instance, the way he used to throw a line. I mean, he was, it just landed because he was self-deprecating, you know, he didn't take himself seriously, but he enjoyed. And that's part of it. You. Do you have time to enjoy what you're doing or are you still on the lines? You know, that's my why. favorite year is my favorite movie. It's oh, my it's favorite wonderful. comedy. Yeah, uh, Teo, you, you sound very much, I, when I was an acting student teacher, it was uh, the inside out, the, in, the outside in. And this is very much an outside in approach. Is that your technique? Do you embody the character from putting it on? Is that? <laughs> Well, once I've gotten the lines down, mm -hmm. uh, then I go, uh, that, that's part of the foundation. Then I'm free to then explore further things. I like going on set. Now we can't even go on the set until we're called in. I used to like to go on set because I used to take in the mood. I used to like right. to sit in the chair, take in the mood of the set, take in the mood of the people surrounding the set. And that always gave me a certain uh, privilege an advantage in that I was already prepared and, and ready to the, for the attack, if you know what I mean. Did you ever see Amadeus on Broadway? Yes. And he was sitting in the chair, yes. the audience was filing in and he had all that time to- all that time. yes. Yes, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, because I do that when I did theater. Uh, when the curtains were closed, I would come in maybe 20 minutes before it would start. I'd lie on the stage and I'd do my meditation. And then in my mind, I would bring the audience up on the stage with me rather than coming in and then having to bring the audience alive to you and bring them on there because that's then, then then you've wasted the time so when you come on the stage you've already done the homework and you're ready for the performance you already psychologically know the audience is there with you because i've already put that out what kind of meditation do you do too I don't know if what, what you would call it you know uh, transcendental meditation you know um a mantra I, yeah, a mantra. I've got a prayer that I've done. I can go under within 15 seconds. I'm in. And depending on the heat that rises from the hands, 
tells me how deep I've gone. Once I really get locked in and the hands are really hot, I can put them to my face and I can feel the heat. Then I know how deep I've gone. There are times where I can't get as deep as I want, but uh, when I do get it, it's, it's magical. It's like sometimes I say to myself, oh, I don't want to get out. I don't want to come out. I don't want to come out. And then before I realize that I've been under for over an hour, when it felt like help help me how because i've been trying to meditate for years and i play guided meditations and if i've gone out for 10 seconds in my life it's a lot how how did you make that trans was it a conscious tra transformation to go uh you know uh, when i was 26 i remember diane Ladd. remember the you know the actress oh, sure Ladd? yeah uh, that's how I met Diane, and uh, we worked later together. But I, I did a, a course in metaphysics. I also did one with Shirley MacLaine. Oh, wow. In her heyday, <laughs> when she was doing, you know, out on a limb. I did a four-day uh, course with her. She wow. Um, <clears throat> and then I, uh, I've taken different courses. But for me, if you can do 15, 20 minutes in an afternoon, it's like having three hours of sleep. Because, you know, we get, don't sleep deeply. If we do, we, we become too tired. Mm -hmm. But when you go there, it's, a, it's the place of rest for me. It's, it's where your core is. It's where your center. So the, in other words, you feel from the top to the bottom of your body that it's all come together in one line. And when that happens, then the heat starts to come. Then the insights start to come. And then I start bringing in the things I want to do, the prayers that I have for friends who are maybe not good, not well. Um, uh, also the work. I also ask for clear, um, clarity and right action when it comes to where I need to go next. And, and those things, and please give me the message that I will recognize. You know, people ask for things, but they never ask for the message that would be clear for them. It may come to you, but you may not hear it or you may not see it. Absolutely. So the, the, the information can, can, can be uh, manifested in different things. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be you just picking up an orange and then suddenly, oh, something that you ask for, the answer comes to you. I'm not saying the orange is going to talk to, back to you, but something about the choosing of something gives you the answer about what you're looking for. We were just talking about this before we came on the air about how you were saying when you're in Whole Foods and you're walking through the aisles, uh, food will kind of talk, to, like you you intuitively know what your body needs. Expl tell us about that. Uh, yeah, when I go through, I look, and then suddenly I'll stop and I look at what I stop at. Um, that's why I don't like uh, the shopping, the people shop for you. Uh, I found that that was not very satisfactory. Firstly, they don't choose well. Um, and, and then because I thought too expensive, you know, with all the fees that they charge you. Yes, and then you have to call them up to tell them, you know, I just put my, I just picked up a, a papaya, my thumb went through it. You know what I mean? It's, a, it's all those, yeah. so I enjoy. So, um, like if I'm going along the vegetables, I'll look, 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 and then oh, I stop and I go, oh, that's nice. Yeah, and I'll pick it up. We don't do that when we order online because right. we're not there in person. So to me, it's everything's developed about developing your intuition, sharpening uh -huh. those tools. Okay, know. so how much do you believe, this is fascinating to me, Teo, because I, I feel very in touch with my intuition. And when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think of to me, that is the universe speaking to me mm. and giving me a message because I am a completely open. I am a vessel. I have no agenda when I wake up. And I trust my intuition. And I've been, my intuition's been questioned. 
as being um, delusional think or whatever that, and I, I know that my intuition is on target. Um, do you believe that? Do you, do you ever feel like your, your intuition is misleading you? You know, if I'm out, out of ethic, when my ethics are out, when I've done something that I should not have done, ah. uh, so that's when you, in, uh, certain things cross your path. Interesting. You think to yourself, now why did I call that in? Because I didn't handle that other thing better. You know, so it's, wow. it's like when people come into my home, wow. not, not too many, mm-hmm. but, but if I find that I've invited someone or some people that brought in a lot of negatives, because people do bring them, they don't finish their stuff at home, they bring it with them. And they come through your door and, you know, they look around the house and they'll say things like, well, how the hell did you afford to buy all this stuff? And that tells me, instead of saying, oh, that's, that's attractive, or I like that, or what is that, you know, what the inquiry about a piece or something, that tells me that person needs to leave. And they will eventually. Okay, uh, so how do you do that? I say things to them that makes them want to leave. <laughs> don't you have something, I mean, Teo, for those of you, for those of you who don't know, none of you, and most of you don't know, I was blessed to know because I walked through the threshold of Teo's home and into it. Isn't there something, something outside that is sort of an entry something energy-wise to coming in? Am I yes, making this Yes, up? yes, yes, the courtyard. You mean with the big Buddha? Mm-hmm. And every mm-hmm. time I put koi in, they died because either the raccoons get them and eat them, have mm-hmm. a, fe- a feast. So, you know, I have nine because of Feng Shui, you know, I'll have nine, including a black one. And, you know, I was looking and they become like your children. You look at them every day and they're, and they're so calm and peaceful swimming around. And then you wake up one morning and all you see are heads floating and the raccoons got in. So then, I mean, it's just, so I don't do it anymore. So I have my Buddha, which runs with- It's the Buddha that I was thinking of, The Buddha that that I do also burn incense and uh, in that courtyard. It's interesting because people will come to the house and say, I love your courtyard. I think what they're loving too, firstly, there's the smell from from the the plants and the flowers Mm -hmm. and all that. But I I think what it is, is the energy they've walked into. Mm -hmm. People don't realize, they think it's, oh, it's pretty, you know, this is nice, this is attractive. No, it's also about the energy that's come that you've able to pull in because somehow seeing a Buddha or seeing something that looks festive and and, and trusting, uh, you know, it's something you can stand in front and say a prayer if that's what your case is. But they will feel something and they'll come in with it. So that's part of the ploy with the courtyard. And you know, Teo, I, 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 you just made tears come to my eyes because I was thinking. Why did women who write work in my house for 12 years? There's nothing special about this house. There's no furniture. There's, there's really nothing going on here, but there's an energy in here right. that as soon as people walk in, you can feel it. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, you've built a history, a foundation, energy into your, into your place uh, every day or whatever it is. You're not a person that wants to bring in the negative. You know, there are a lot of people who, who complain, who get into a negative situation because something didn't work out, so they blame something else. Mm-hmm. You know, so they don't know where to focus. But uh, for me, it's coming into the courtyard. I know for a fact that when people come in, they're going, oh, that is so nice. And people relax in my home. And if they don't, and, and then they leave, I will burn sage. <laughs> you know, I, I can't tell you how much I'm getting out of this already. You've already <laughs> transformed my life. 
telling me about the not trusting the intuition if I've done something that's suspect. And I never considered that before. And there's a lot of value to that. You have you, this is a transformative conversation already. We can stop now. I've got what I need. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> if you're out ethics, you're going to pay a price. You're very wise. Um, well, so let's go, let's go back to uh, the, your COVID stuff and how, so what were you doing when we went into lockdown? What, what did your life look like day to day then? Um, just prior. Oh, prior. Yes, just prior. Just prior. Uh, I had just come back from Australia. I went to see my family. I had the most fabulous time. Um, Didn't it, it start there? Because wasn't like Tom Hanks in Australia, and that's where you well, got. That was, that was last year. That was that was sort of April, May. We're talking March. March. Oh, he was, okay. Yeah. All right. So I came back in January. Okay. From mm -hmm. Australia, mm -hmm. um, it was interesting to see. Uh, where a lot of people who eventually married because it was arranged marriage because of the Greeks and what the, and how they they worked that out and some relationships worked but I found that a lot of my relatives were bored with their marriages mm. it's like the question this is it so they look at my freedom mm. the men especially the women don't even listen to the men anymore <laughs> <They're not laughs> they've already been through it for years you know. So it's interesting to see how men eventually, because women become the strong one, they're always the core of the family, with the children, with the food, with the choices that are made in the house. It comes from the woman. Mm -hmm. And so the men are just sitting there and they're bored and they're used to the women serving them, you know. Mm -hmm. I always said, why don't you get up your bloody ass and do it yourself? Why, don't you, why are you always waiting for your wife to do it? He goes, what? Well, that's what she does. And I said, no, that's what you do. Wow. So change it change it and they'll say oh, thanks thanks for that <laughs> but they don't you know they become lazy you see we, when we get bored we become lazy we become like it's you know we've done enough that's it you know let's play a round of golf or let's look at the crossword puzzle or just sit there and play cards you know nobody's curious when i went back they weren't curious and curiosity to me is is part of longevity mm. what keeps you going so where does your interest lie? So that's why people say, where are you going next? You know, when most people have retired, I'm still going, I'm still journeying because I haven't done enough. And also because that's your education, self-education. You choose your own education. We went to school because we were told these are the subjects because that's how the school demanded. Mm -hmm. But then as you get older and you have the freedom, then you choose your own education. Mm -hmm. And then when you choose that, then you are better equipped and understanding what kind of a soul you brought in what kind of a spirit you brought in and until that time everything's kind of a, a fog because you have followed what everybody else has told you to do mm. that's how it was for me and then when i chose my own education and then racism goes when you understand other cultures when you explore other cultures mm -hmm. we're seeing racism today being so prominent being mm -hmm. surfaced because of, of the pain that a lot of people have gone through because they've been pointed at or laughed at or scoffed at or dismissed mm -hmm. or you know in some way hurt so mm -hmm. when you go to other cultures if you're not a couch traveler and you go to other cultures as i have you get to understand not just that culture but it also gives you a better perspective of how other people think and live which may be different from yours but it's but they're lessons mm -hmm. 
how people. So, and it also opens your mind and your heart, doesn't it? Does. it? Yeah, so when you come back, you know, you're not pointing fingers, you're telling people what great stuff you, 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 you got to experience, you know. So that's why for me, two or three journeys a year. Now, a lot of people can't, can't afford to do it. Right. But, but still, you know, you, you find a way of, of you know, you, I said to friends of mine, save. Save something every week, save something every week and say, in December, I'm going to take a journey. Because you can't, you know, there are people who never left America. Mm-hmm. I went to my, a friend of mine who was 62 years old when I was younger, and I said to them, listen, I'm going to go overseas. Would you like to join me? And they'd never been out. And they said, oh, I can't afford it. And I said, no, no, I'm going to take you. So I took this teacher of mine who'd wow. never been out of America at 62 because he thought he was old and retiring. And suddenly he couldn't believe what he was exploring. So we went to Egypt. We went to Italy. We went to, to Greece. At 62, he had a love affair that he had not had in 40 years. Oh, you know, things wow. like that. So it's amazing what other cultures, other lands have there to explore for you, waiting for you. And, you, you know, it's, it's a, a wonderful thing to be able to sit down at a table because people, people are looking for themselves to grow. You know, like when I go to Egypt, they do, and they with their fingers. And people say, oh, I can't do that. I said, try it. Just try picking up and eating with your fingers because that's what we used to do before the knife and fork came in. <laughs> anyway, so so that's another thing about taking journeys. It, it takes away your judgments mm-hmm. about other people. I think that's wonderful. What, did, what was the f- first place you traveled to on your own? Well, from Australia, I, I went to Mexico because I got a free trip to America uh, via Mexico with the Belly Poplarico. So I, I did that for um, a few weeks. Then I went to New York. Now, you know, I was a Greek boy. And as, as one director called Joel Schumacher, remember him, who died this past year? Yes. yes. He turned around to a, a, the only person I knew in America is, why would you be dealing with this immigrant? Is what he said. Why would you be, what, what, what? he's just an immigrant, Greek immigrant, but what, what would you be doing with this person? So it's interesting, years later, because I was dismissed in those days. Years later, I'm on the plane, I'm going to Hawaii and then to Australia, and I was going to go see family. And I was sitting in the first class, and, you know, from the kid who had $180 in his pocket, I'm now going first class, and I'm thinking, I can go home. And I'm sitting there, and who comes and sits next to me, because it was empty to see, was Joel Schumacher. And Joel Schumacher says to me, I have to apologize. I am so sorry about the way I treated you and the way, the way, you, you, the way you have created a, a career here. From the time I saw you, and I thought you were just this immigrant. So getting that apology. Without you, without you soliciting for it. I didn't even know he was there. And then all those years you know, later, someone remembered something they did, as I said, pointing fingers and and making judgments on somebody without getting to know who they were. Give them a chance. You know. I wonder if it's something he carried from the moment he said it, knowing it was wrong, or from seeing you succeed and then going, oh, what I said, I wonder, I'm curious. I don't know, uh, with him, because he was a bright, bright man. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good taste in things. But, you know, he, I remember the conversation when he was 26 at the time I was 20 and Joel Schumacher was talking about how expensive his clothes were. He paid how much for this and how much for that. And that was the conversation. And I thought, my God, these people are so shallow. All they're talking about is their, you know, how much they, their clothing cost them. But, you know, 
that's what I say. If people make judgments on you, uh, don't let it stop you from moving forward. Be an example. I, th I think that's insecurity. I think that's uh, they're trying to overcompensate for feeling less than or something. I don't know. Yes, because Joel Schumacher wasn't exactly pretty. And so, um, you know, who, who knows why? But the apology was great, you know? And then I saw him at Warner Brothers one day and he ran across the studio lot and, and hugged me and said, how are you doing and all this? And my manager turned around and said, you know Joel Schumacher? <laughs> I said, it's a long story, I'll tell you another day. But that was, that was it, yeah. That's wonderful. Hmm. That's wonderful. Uh, okay, so, so uh, let's go back to it again. So, so when it's when COVID started, you had just come back from Australia from seeing you were very blessed to have just seen them. Yes, you were going to be stopped from doing that in the future. Uh, were, were you working at the time, or was it a quiet time? Was it? Uh, no, I finished work in November. That's why I took the journey home because um, I'd I'd been to Egypt in in um, April May, and mm -hmm. I went with my producer. Uh, Jeff Hayes and his wife, and um, uh, we had an extraordinary journey, and and so I was full. So when the COVID came and mm -hmm. I had to stay home, I you know I have a lovely home, I have yes, a big backyard. Mm -hmm. I I I can be self sufficient here. I cook well. I eat well. Yes. You know I don't. I don't get, I, I really believe in that ancient saying of nothing in excess and know thyself, those two principles I always found important because if you, if you don't know yourself, how do you know what your excesses are? And so it, it was, it was knowing how to balance myself through these times, but I, I didn't, it didn't bother me. I, I could never understand why people needed to get out. Now I understand when they were young, when you're in your twenties, you know, teenager, you want to go out and you want to have fun, but you know, we were disciplined from the time I arrived in America. So the schooling I had from the fashion world, the art world, from the acting world, the directing world, um, all that was part of the package because your 20s are really about what seeds you plant. Your teenage years are where you sort of play around and get into trouble. But in your 20s, you begin to plant the seeds that you, what you wanna do. And then when you come into your 30s, those seeds begin to sprout mm. and you start seeing what you're about to become. And then in your 40s, you've got a foundation you're standing on because something about what you did in your 20s paid, your, paid off for what you were doing in your 40s and your 50s and, and so on. And so I think it's all, always very important. Know what it is that you want. You have to have clarity about those things because people don't know what they want. They're afraid to say, I want to become this or I want to do this. And that's where it stays. It stays as a thought. So when I worked with Mullen Katsalas, everything out of the head, once you put it down on paper, it becomes an action. Mm -hmm. And so when, when those things happened, I started to find myself in seeing things happen and develop. And every time I thought I had to change something or, or move to somewhere else, mm -hmm. a job would come. And that always gave me the indication, no, 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 it's not, it's not over. And even with COVID and when, and when the Emmy came two years you in a row. You had an Emmy nomination in the middle of COVID. In the middle of COVID, I thought to myself, oh, what is all this all about? You know, and then suddenly uh, my friend Jan called me up because I didn't even know. I, I, I had missed it on the television, the mm -hmm. announcement. And, she told, and Jan called me up and said, oh my God, you've been an uh, Emmy nomination. Uh, so that was a kind of a reward that, that lasted for about six weeks. <laughs> You know, and then they forget, you know, yeah. at work, they forget that you, you've been nominated. And, and we don't forget, though. 
No, I mean, you know, they're accomplishments, you know, that you, you, you attain, that you received in your life. You give thanks and you wait for well, the next So year. what was award season like? Not going to the luncheons, not going to the stuff. Um, were there ce Zoom celebrations? Were there, what did you oh, do? Yes, uh, I had to, uh, I, it was an interesting time because I, I had um, my makeup artist, when, when we were going to do a presentation in case we won, mm -hmm. we had to make a speech. So, you know, who are we gonna thank? Nobody, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, my, uh, my uh, makeup artist, Nikki, uh, and, and Lauren Koslow, husband mm -hmm. and wife, they came and they made me up. They were really wonderful about it. And, and so um, he did my makeup. We, we got the, the lights and everything so we could do it properly. And I did the speech and they brought the lenses and everything. And that's how, you know, how we did it. And um, I, I, it was, you know, it was, I always thought, well, it would be nice if you ever won to be able to get in front of your audience. You've earned that right, you know, and tell the people you hate off and respect <laughs> the people that made a difference. And so, so I'm left there with the speech. That was it. That was the reward. And then, of course, if you won, then that speech would, be, would have surfaced and, and you would have said your thing. I see. You know. But the other good thing is um, they send us, uh, when you nominate it, they send you all these gifts. So then oh, I had. You still got the swag, even though you weren't going to the swag places. Mm. Oh. I've got all these gifts and everything, including this light that's up here. Um, yeah, <clears throat> we did all, we got all that. And it was wonderful. Even a trip to Puerto Vallarta, if I ever wanted to take it. But I thought, no, I, I passed on that one. Because mm -hmm. I knew I was going to be traveling. Uh, because we didn't know much about the disease at the time the, 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 of COVID. Right. Um, and so you had to be smart about what it was. So uh, people that I trusted, I they would come visit. Uh, a couple of few times, most of the time I was on my own. And then I started to write and I thought to myself, you know, I have to be creative. I've got to put whatever it is. I'm not acting now. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying words. And so I started to write. And what I found about the writing is that it gave gravitas to language. And so that when I went back as an actor, after I started to write a lot, the language had a different feel to it because I had put muscle to it. Wow. It was an exercise. So sometimes, you know, I always remembered my teacher Moulton used to say, well, you know, if you go through a paragraph and you don't understand it, some phrase or word within that paragraph, you didn't understand. So when you write, you get to understand language. You really understand it. It's another, it's another way that builds your foundation as a whoever what your career is. And so I, the first thing I, I wrote was the, a whispered past which I enjoyed writing. <clears throat> and then I, I, I wrote The Arrogance of a Loser. And uh, that was, that took me a while. I wrote the first page, I couldn't get back to it for another few months. And so, because I didn't know, what am I gonna write? I love, I love the title, mm. The Arrogance of a Loser. And it was used by uh, my teacher, Milton Katselis in class, when, another, when an actor sat at the edge of the stage and had to make a comment about what they felt they achieved in the scene. And the teacher said after the comment was, comments were made, you know, you have the arrogance of a loser. <gasps> and nobody in the class really understood it. And that's why I couldn't get back to it. And once I did, there was somebody ha that, that uh, a friend of mine who threw a 30 year friendship party for me. 
and then became an enemy. And I saw why. And that was the arrogance of a loser. And then I got it. I saw it beyond the class. I saw it in my own life. And so how I handled it. And so, um, so there's, you know, it's, life is a, a constant uh, education and, and development. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like when I go on the other side, I, you know, my teacher of spiritual counseling used to say to me, when you go on the other side, you get a list of things you, you, you came in with and what you did with them. And so, you know, it's, it's like she told me that what she remembered, what, when she went in, down into levels, there was a Nazi that went on the other side and couldn't get out of the chair because what he had and what he did with it, he couldn't get over how and what he did to these people the crimes, and he couldn't get up. So there are different levels on the other side. Um, uh, the people who are highly evolved, she used to say to me, those who have great light to them that we can't see. See, we can't see certain things because it's too much light. So it becomes, just becomes nothing. But behind that light, when, when Thetans on the other side are highly evolved and they have to come down to someone who's in a lower situation, they have to, they have to make their light. They have to dim it in order for you to see them. And so it's all a constant change. And then when you're ready, you come back into another life, into the next life, you know. So that's why I always think karma is very important. Don't take it with you. Leave it here. Make sure you've evolved from it. You know? I'm exhausted. I've just talked too much. I, no, I am I am loving all of I am loving all of this. I am I am I'm soaking it in because I believe all of everything that you just said uh, is of my belief system. I was just talking to an astrologer friend yesterday who was telling me about past lives I've had with someone in my life and what what the energy is that we're going through right now and that we're going to take with us into the next one if we don't resolve it here. So uh, I believe all that stuff. Um, okay, so so you were talking about deciding in your teens what you want to do with that's where we kind of are thinking about what we want it's in the teens oh no we're just yeah. having funds in the teens. Fun, fun in fun the, in the teens. you know that's where they get a lot of trouble so now but you had a lot of transition in your early life you didn't start out as an actor so no. what 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 uh, I, I know the story but not everybody out there does what was your initial i want to be archaeologist Yes, That's what I mean. but, but that fits in perfectly with all your journeying and yeah. all of that. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, I, actually, um, a, a number of years ago, I decided I was going to become an archaeologist later in life. And oh. then I thought, oh, what about all the, the bending and the digging? <laughs> get older. And, I thought, and then I saw how many years the course was. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to be an amateur archaeologist. <laughs> I'm just going to study up and go and do my own digs without having... You know, because I found things in the earth that were uh, amazing. Um, but like, tell us, tell us something that you found, something amazing you found. Uh, in on the ancient uh, island of Delos in Greece, when you go to Mykonos, you catch a, a boat, and when you go, uh, the boat's about 20, 25 minutes to go to Delos. It was the ancient port of Greece, especially during the Roman Empire. It was huge. So when you go onto that island, it has. A, a sign that says not even a rock is allowed to be taken off this island. Mm -hmm. they're, it's, it, they're saving it for future generations. The island is is got some of the most beautiful ruins. It's mm -hmm. a small museum, but my God, everything in it is A-class pieces. Mm -hmm. And so I was with a group of six people 
mm-hmm. and I was coming through and there was this fence and I said, oh, what, what, what's the fence for? He said, oh, because on the other side, you know, there's things they say are there. And so while they were walking away, I snuck back, climbed over the fence and I started to dig in the earth. And then I found perfume bottles, jewelry. I found pieces of metal and I'm going, oh my God, I'm the first person to touch this since the ancient world, which is first from there, fifth century BC. And then when I finished and discovered it, I just put it back in, covered it, climbed the fence over, and I thought that was enough. That way, you know, there's not, there'll be nothing worse. It, even when I was studying on Schliemann to write my script on Schliemann and I was at the Gennadius Library in Athens, I cannot tell you, I came across letters, love stories that he had written to his wife. And I thought, oh, I'd like to take just one. Oh, wouldn't it be, you know, that, that thing that's human. Oh my God, I'd love this. I can see it had in the house framed. Heinrich Schliemann who discovered Troy in my senior, he would, he would, have this love story that I've been writing and then I just get the feeling of it as I'm writing it'd be right there for me and then and I was left by myself but then I said I wonder if there are any cameras in this room <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they're, if they're doing it but then I thought you know in Greek you say tropi which means shame and so I thought I couldn't shame anybody and firstly it's not mine it's part of everyone's you know it's it's a gift that I was able to be given to touch these things and to enjoy it. So when I got emotional and the gal looked at me, the archaeologist, she said, I know how you feel because I was so touched by the letters. So I left it alone. But that thought just crossed my mind. But, you know, my my uh, karmic destiny came in and said, no. <laughs> and does that, so does that voice ever not speak to you? Have you ever done, Have do you have things that you regret? Probably in my 20s and 30s, I probably did some stupid things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's where I always felt that I was blessed. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you something. When I was with my spiritual counselor, Catherine Hayward, mm-hmm. I walked in and I've written about this. I walked into her house and she looked at me and she said, how dare you come here? I was 23. How dare you come here with the mind you have and the trash you associate with? And I went, oh, my God, I can't stay here. This is not a good place to be. And I left. Six months later, I thought about it, thought about it. And I said, why would she have said that to me? Am I, am I surrounded by trash, by people who, are, who go for the common denominator in life? And I looked at myself seriously. And I thought, ah, choices. Mm-hmm. That was one of the ways I learned about choices. We are our choices. We are who we are because Did of the you choices. change who you were hanging with? Hmm? Did you change who you were? Oh, yes. My life started, well, being with her. So I walked in and she says, are you ready now? And I said, yes. I started with this woman for 12 years, mm-hmm. three times a week. I, I, I came from a sort of abusive father. So I had a lot of stuff in me mm-hmm. that needed to be released. That, because when we hold on to those things, they develop into sickness, tumors. So I wanted to get rid of the things that were um, put on top of me. And now my job was to let them go. There were lessons. You know, you can't always say, we choose our parents. You can't always say, oh, well, or blame them. There has to come a time where you come in peace with it and say, okay, that was part of the past. But I remember she was sitting there with me one day and she goes, I cannot believe who's here. She could see spirits. What? And she's looking up and she did her cross. And I thought, oh, this must be some religious thing, you know. She says, I'm being told not to tell you that they're here, but they take care of you. 
And so when you say, did I get into trouble? Yeah, but I found myself later when things that were going to be against me, but somehow I was shifted. Somehow, for some reason, something came along, the phone rang and I didn't do something. The phone rang, uh, it's like you say sometimes, you're about to drive out of your garage. Ah, uh -uh, you were saved from your destiny. Oh, you're not destiny, I see. Yeah, and so uh, sometimes I always think when the phone's ringing, oh, I forgot something, that was a delay tactic that was created so that I wouldn't go at that moment because something could have happened. So I always believe in those, it's ominous, but I, I believe in, in, in those signatures of life that give you warnings if you're mm -hmm. listening. Mm -hmm. you know? well. and, and then you know when the enemy's coming. When you get those things down, you, can, you know when the enemy's coming. Oh, okay, so you know when the enemy's coming. Are you ever incorrect? Is that ever an incorrect? That's is that ever an incorrect intuition? That's what I, I'm going back to again. Have I made mistakes by what I thought I knew? Yes, mm -hmm. but then becomes I didn't know it well that enough. That becomes a lesson. Yeah, I didn't know it well enough. You know, mm -hmm. so um, so everything you know, because now I'm at that stage where I've turned around. You know, life is about becoming. That's mm -hmm. why so I liked. Uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Obama's um, the first lady. It's her book called Becoming. Right, Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because I've thought of that word a lot, becoming. And what happens when you become? When you become, it turns, and now you're facing the traffic. Before you were ahead of the traffic, and that usually happens when everybody who was in front of you is gone, in some way, physically or emotionally, or whatever, have gone and you're looking and you're in the front line. And the only choice you have is really you turn around and you see what's coming at you. And you start to pull in people who are in search of mentors, guidance. Well, that's what I did. Now, mm -hmm. with all the information that's been accumulated, you are now ready to pass that on. You become in a sense, a sage within yourself because you've taken the time to understand and take in those lessons and be rewarded by those lessons rather than shrugging them off or taking a drug or drinking and, and, and you know, suppressing them. So th I found that now I'm, I'm attracting young men and women who are looking for some kind of direction because daddy's not there anymore. And let's face it, you reach a certain age, you don't listen to daddy anymore, <laughs> you know, or to mommy. So you, you look for something that's your choice. Mm -hmm. See, I believe you make your own education. Once you get the freedom, you make your own education, the journeys you want to take, the people you want to experience. It's the same thing. Now, with my two friends who are here, um, they were telling me, you know, you're our mentor. And I thought, well, really? Well, yeah, because the way you talk, the way we've been listening. And so it's interesting about how people listen. And when people interrupt, which they love doing, I always say to them, I hadn't finished. And I go on with them. <laughs> you know, just subtle. You don't have to get defensive about it. But you see why some people, it's about ego coming. And I said to them, there are two things. Information comes from you or through you. When it comes from you, it's ego. When it comes through you, well, that's a more elevated situation. And that's a higher cause. So if you can keep that channel open. So when people, you're telling a story and someone interrupts and then suddenly they say, I'm sorry, what were you saying? You're saying, I'm sorry, I can't remember. I don't remember. It's because they, they, their comment 
shut you down, shut it down. And then you have to rediscover it again. You had a mentor early in your life. So from archaeology, yeah, uh, from archaeology, why did, okay, so you decided not to do that. Um, mm. because, okay. Um, at the time, it wasn't because of the amount of time. W what was the reason at that time that you well, you know, my father would always ask me, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, oh, I'm probably going to be an archaeologist. Well, you know, I ended up getting in the diplomatic corps. I, worked, I was an immigration official. And, and then, you know, when I got the free trip to America, I just fell in love with America. I always had, you know, through movies, you know, it's like, I want to go to America because look at the way they live, New York, you know, oh, look at those great movie stars. Look at, look at those great thinkers. And so I made it my point to, I said to my parents, I'm going to go. So I became the first Greek boy in, in, in Australia uh, in what they call the Castorisian Society to leave home before the sisters married. You had to wait till your sisters got married to wow. help support that. And I didn't. I said I was going away for three weeks. I, I lasted a year and I got a job at the UN and for one year and then I went back home. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take every. I had enough time away to realize that none of this anything that I, that I had previously lived was working for me anymore. It had become stale, it had become routine. Um, and so I thought against everybody's odds, you know, that I was gonna fail and do whatever, I um, decided to go back to America and this Greek actor came up to me one day and said, you're gonna to come to a class with me. And I said, why? He says, you have to be an actor. And I said, no, not an actor. Anyway, so I went to the class and I remember when the teacher, and this is an old story of mine, but the teacher said to me, my first acting class, you get up. And I said, no, I can't. I said, I, I um, I'm not an actor. And she says, well, you're in this class. I said, well, I'm just a guest. She's, well, you're in my class. So I go up and read. Well, I was as stiff as a board. You know, I, I, mean, I was like the, the Greek boy, you know, that came out of the village. And so I just, I went up and it was so bad that she said, oh, I understand why you don't want to be an actor because I couldn't tell the difference between you and the chair. And so that was, I sat down and I was so embarrassed. And I remember my friend Ma Maggie Frawley, who I've not seen since, but we still communicate on Facebook. Wow. wow. Don't worry, honey, you're pretty. And that's how it all started. And it, that was enough incentive for me to become the best actor in the class at that time. And Mary, I proved to Mary that I was an actor. I had to, because I couldn't go home because they would have said, you see, we told you, you wasted your life, you know? So I thought, no, I cannot go back home until I get my first acting job. And that took six years. Okay, and what did you do in those six years? Uh, I studied Chinese art, English 18th century art. I was an apprentice at $75 a week. After I finished that for three years, I went into fashion with Melodandre in New York. We did the clothing for uh, a lot of the people from Godfather. I mean, you mentioned it, uh, we did the clothes for them. Wow. And so that was a great education. It taught me about clothing. It taught me about how to wear a suit. You know, a lot of people, men wear suits, and they don't know how to, it walks them and they can't walk the suit, if you know what I mean. Um, so that was the, and then from there, once I finished that, I turned to Melodandra who wanted me to open the store and, and deal with politicians in, in Washington, in, in Georgetown. And, and I told him I was gonna be an actor. And he screamed, he says, if you see these assholes who come in, what they're about, do you wanna become like them? And I said, no, but I'm gonna see, I have to give it a try because why? Because that's the only way I thought I could make enough money to travel. 
I didn't become an actor because I thought, oh, it's craft. That came really? Later. Yes, that came later. I thought I could make money. And people said, you know how many actors make money? And I said, well, I'm going to make money. And so w once I got into it, then I started to understand <laughs> the craft. Then I started to see, fall in love, and starting with Stella Adler and Milton Fitzgerald. Then it all started to come together, and then it became something else. And then I could go home, and I did, and I was embraced. And you know, my father would, who used to be so abusive, would one day open his arms out like this. And in Greek, the word "levendi" means warrior. So my father, with tears down his face, his arms are open. He calls me his levendi when he thought I was going to be the loser and the embarrassment of the family. What What was it that you did, Teo, that changed his opinion? I think because he saw me on TV and he saw how people were um, screaming and applauding and all that. And, mm -hmm. um, and also that I came off, you know, hosting a show, the, a major uh, talk show, and I hosted it for a week. So my father was like, you know, uh, he was sitting in the audience with my mother and, and I came out with a tuxedo and, and I didn't know what I was going to say. But the next thing I know is 200 women they hired threw their underwear at me. <laughs> and <I> thought, <laughs> standing up there on the stage, so embarrassed and, you know, so Greek. And then my, my mother looking in shock and my father's going, mm. <laughs> my father thought, oh, all these beautiful women like my son. You know? So that all changed because he had, he had a, a limited image of himself. He didn't get the chance to explore because he was, he had, he was an immigrant in Australia and they came from a certain society, but they were late. They had the only jobs available were lab being laborers. And mm -hmm. so, he had, didn't have a chance. And I thought, you know, we have to go beyond our parents. And that's what I did. And so that's where my challenges were. And so I was able to send them overseas six times, you know, which I was so pleased about because, you know, it changed their life. It gave them longevity. And at the same time, I was able to let go of all the problems I had with my father in my youth. And my mother was always a great woman, a great lady. And um, so it was good. It was good to be able to go home. That doesn't always happen, but when you, when you can uh, and you're winning, it's, it's amazing how people love you because you're winning, you know? God forbid you're a loser and you don't get someone to be compassionate enough to say, let me help you, what happened, you know? But I had to do it on my own, so I didn't have to ask. How did you get your, your first break, Teo, in, in acting? Um, <laughs> my acting teacher that I was with, they were doing a pilot. And it was, um, uh, what's her name? It was the husband of, of uh, Shirley Jones. He was the- uh, um, Jack Cassidy. Yes. Yeah. It was so sad. Anyway, it was starring Jack Cassidy in this pilot. And I had a small part, but I was able to get my uh, aftercard from it. And then I got a, uh, another job. I then came out, um, uh, I was in New York, and then came out with Milton Katselis as his assistant. Then I got uh, to do a play. Then we went to New York and, and did a show called Jockeys. And out of that, I got three films. So, you know, all those things are following my choices, as I keep saying, mm -hmm. what allowed me to succeed. And then when Mission Impossible came, mm -hmm. well, what an embrace that was to go to Australia with that. And that was great. And then I, I got three miniseries out of that that followed. And then of course I had Days and General Hospital and, and the rest was history. How, at this stage of life, can you do a soap opera and learn those lines? How do, how, how do you do, do you have a system? Do you have a, a trick? I don't know if it's a trick. I've got a, it's not a trick. 
It's, it's just discipline. Um, I know that some people study their lines that morning. Mm -hmm. I, I could never do that. I have to be able to get off the page. Otherwise, the rest of the stuff that's waiting in line to come into the performance is delayed, and then you don't get a chance to play it. Mm -hmm. um, but what I would do is, I remember one producer came up to me one time and she said, when I was looking, I said, how do you learn these 10 scenes? And she said, one scene at a time. <laughs> so what I would do is I'd start the first scene and I would number it, number one. Every time I came across certain words that I thought were important for the scene, I circled them. And so I would have to learn the script four times and I would do nothing but study all weekend because I want to have a good time. You know, performing can be a great time. But when you're still at the edge, it's still at the edge. What do you gain from that? You know, the fact that you could fail, the fact that you didn't do as well as you wanted to. So, and, and because I had great actors in front of me, you know, great lessons that I learned. I remember Mr. Donald Carey, who was the head of the family of the Hortons on Days of Our Lives. And I remember he, he would ignore and I'd say, hello, hello, sir, hello, good morning. And he'd go, oh, hello, and he wouldn't. So one day I stopped him. I said, I want to ask you something. Why don't you say hello, really? Why do you, he says, Teo, I've spent many years on this show and many people that I've grown to love had to leave. And it was very hard for me. So now I wait, does the actor survive at least two years on the show? Then I think they have a chance to start. And that's how it happened with him. Wow. Yeah. And then I would get Alice Horton, you know, I mean, she was, she was the best. She would say, get him in here. Get in here. And I'd say, yeah, what is it? She goes, where have you been now? Tell me where you've been, because you wasn't traveling anymore. Tell me where you've been, you know. And so that was, that was, a, that were great people, you know. You and Deidre have spent so many years together and are such wonderful friends. Were you friends right from the start? Did that just immediately click for you guys? Um, I remember uh, they gave me so many lines on my first week on days mm -hmm. that I thought it's inhuman to learn <laughs> that many lines, especially when the muscle hadn't developed. Mm -hmm. But they liked me and Gloria Loring was wonderful to me. Mm -hmm. I remember one actor who I won't mention who came up while I was trying to remember my lines in these scenes and said, um, you know, does anybody else want their, their plumbing done while we're waiting for this actor to get it together? Oh, that was my first week. Lord. After six weeks, an actress challenged me and told me that I was just a bit actor on the show. So that upset me. And so I realized, you know, I was the only dark haired ethnic person to come on days for a long, in a long time, if ever. Mm -hmm. No ethnic, you know, it was all very uh, white. White bread, yes. Yeah, all white bread. And, um, and so I had to prove something. And so uh, thank God for my lessons learned and what I did and I persevered. It became, you know, when you could see it happening and how happy they were because of ratings. Mm. You know, they made the right choice or whatever they did in those days and the way they proceeded because they were taking a chance. I mean, you know, it become, I could see the cobwebs because everything had stayed the same for such a long time. And mm. suddenly you come in totally fresh, fashion conscious, where they would call me in and say, men don't wear those colors. You know, I remember one producer said to me, 
I have to tell you, in 1982, I don't know if anybody else had worn, I got a black shirt with a black bow tie and a black tuxedo. So I, I get them, call me in, and I get them, I said, you know, you look ridiculous with that outfit on. Now imagine how many years later, how many, that outfit became popular, right? So it was black on black on black. And I wanted to make a statement. I was a demera and I was diabolical. So I wanted to show shades of it through my clothing as well. Wow. So I, depending on the set that I was going to work in. And I remember when they said to me, no, go and take it. I said, no, I'm not going to. I took the chance. I said, no, I'm not. This is who I am. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. And then I would look at them and I'm saying, so where did you get your clothes from? Because they had no fashion sense, you know. Another time was when I had a, a blue shirt with a pink tie. Men don't wear those colors. And it all started to change. So what happened was you become responsible for, for bringing color, not just in, in the fashion, but in your interpretation of things and how you sat. And how you, and then they bring Joe Moscolo, great daddy. You know, we worked together, we studied together in Milton Catellus' class. So I told them about Joe Moscolo. Joe Moscolo comes on and he's an enormous hit. The Demeras now, we have established, they haven't had a hit like that since the Hortons, you know. And so here we were, we were the shadowed people. And so Joe and I used to say, let's upset them. <laughs> That's what, you know, so Joe and I created the Demera family and I was the original and, um, I watched when you were the original. I watched every day and never missed it, ever. Mm. Yeah. I, I was one of those. And, and, uh, and you gave much joy. Um, so what is it like now when you, because of COVID, yeah. when you go on the set, yes. how are they treated? How, now you're double vaxxed in, in efficacy, but before you were vaccinated, how did they make you feel safe? Well, we used to go in, get uh, tested, and then wait in our car for about 30 minutes. Then they would call us or text us and say, it's safe for you to come in. Not only that, you couldn't go into the makeup room and do talk, no talking. You couldn't okay, go- now, Would they use the makeup on you that they were using on other, you had to have your own makeup, right? Yeah. Uh, most of the actors now uh, put their own makeup, men as well. Mm -hmm. I couldn't because I, if I take, like when I take these glasses off, I mean, I can't see what I have to do with makeup. And besides, I, I, said, I said to the producer one day, isn't the lighting bad enough? I got to do my own makeup. <laughs> so I, anyway, so, uh, so they were very gracious about it and they understood. And so, uh, and then when it's time for to get made up and then wardrobe, but it's all separate. Uh, as soon as you go on the stage, you've got to wear your mask. You can't walk around without the mask. And then as soon as you get on your set, you can take it off. But as soon as you take get off the set, then you've got to put it back on again. But now it's different. Now you go in, they test you. You've got to wait uh, in your dressing room for two hours, not allowed to mix it. So you rehearse on the phone. You know, and so I'm always used to studying by myself. So I'm okay. Oh, you're rehearsing with the other actors on the phone? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and then we go on set and then we do it. And, and it's all so fast and, and it's all dark, you know, except for your set, you know. So it's changed. Uh, I don't, I mean, when we came on all those years ago, we had the luxury of rehearsals and critique and getting it together. If they didn't like the wardrobe, you would change it a certain way or whatever. But now that's it. What it is, is you know, you as is the situation, and then you know, 
that's what you've got to do. And so you've got to be on your toes. And um, so when a new actor comes on, it's not easy, you know, to do one, one rehearsal, one quick rehearsal, which is also for the camera guys. Right. And then, and then you do the take. Wow. And then when you've got nine scenes back to back, how about there's another show following that you've got to do as well? So, you know, it's, it's amazing when you say, how do you remember all that? Well, that muscle's still in operation. And uh, I thought, you know, not having been on the show for quite, uh, quite a long time, how is my memory? Because Did you exercise that muscle during lock, during the pandemic? Yeah, I kept my mind mixed. Yeah, I, I, when I was writing and everything and recalling things, you know, uh, part of when you asked me about how did I uh, survive in the COVID, um, it's amazing because of all those journeys that I've taken, I was able to go into my mind and travel again. So it was, uh, and, and many things would come that I forgot and then I would put, make notes down and everything. And so in the writing, that was a stimulation of, for me in the mind. And um, so now, you know, with both having had both vaccinations, which I'm psychologically, it does something for you. Yes. So for people out there who are watching, please take the vaccination. It's for all of us. It's not just for you individually. And, and I didn't have any ramifications. You know, I didn't... Um, I had a sore arm, that was it. You know, I know other people sweats and things like that, but I didn't have any problems with it. So now when I entertain, I entertain with my friends who have both vaccinations. So let's talk about that. Um, you were talking earlier about, um, I was saying I, I have weight to lose and I, I want to do this. And the doctor told me to go on a Mediterranean diet and you had some suggestions and we had to go on the air and we stopped the conversation. Tell me more about that. Well, you, you, you bring in that body, so you've learned how to operate it, you know? And so what happens, we, we always eat the wrong things, especially in times of nerves or when something's not working out or love affairs broken or someone's died, you know, we get into bad habits. What I do is I don't have lunch. I still don't have lunch at work. Um, I'll have a breakfast, I'll have a good breakfast. So tell us about your breakfast. Well, I'll do, you know, the first thing I do is I'll squeeze lemon. Mm -hmm. uh, a whole lemon and with cayenne pepper and, and, and a bit of warm water and I drink that first up. After that, I'll do um, a bowl of yogurt mm -hmm. and uh, non-fat yogurt, uh, farge yogurt, which I like. And then I'll put avocado honey over mm -hmm. it, which I just love. It's like eating toffee. It's, it's, it's just, it's like burnt toffee, the taste. Mm -hmm. And then I'll put sunflower seeds over all of that. And then I'll put blueberries all the way around it. And then I like to have a Danish or uh, sometimes I'll have an egg uh, or I'll have, you know, uh, some toast with um, uh, some not, not too fattening stuff. But, I'll, but I, I like to have some carb, you know. Uh, and then I don't eat m uh, most of the day. You know, sometimes I'll just nibble on a piece of cheese or a cracker or something. But at night, I eat a lot. When you get, when hunger strikes in the middle of all of that, what do you do? How do you tame it? I, I take a drink that I do if I if sometimes because of working a tie, uh, I do a, a protein drink in mm -hmm. the afternoon mm -hmm. uh, that I do with a banana and I'll put because uh, it's good with potassium. I'll put uh, almond milk with it and mm -hmm. I put this manna cream, manna cream, manna powder uh, that I use all the time, uh, which stops any kind of cancer forming, things like that. It really is fantastic, and I may be the face of that eventually. Um, wow. uh, so so I that. where can people get that tale? Uh, well, Patty McCormick, she's, mm -hmm. she's, uh, she's the one who 
she's the one who does it. So if anybody wants to know about these products, uh, they can write to me. Okay. Uh, and 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 I can tell them about it because it, it's done wonders for me um, because we both know uh, certain circumstances that we've been through. But it also protected me from COVID. Really? Yeah, the woman said, this will protect you. If you just follow this, it will protect you. So I take um, silver water, you know, that, that I, I spritz in my mouth. That's another thing that builds in your immune system. What's silver water? It's, um, oh God, I don't have it here show you, you, it's, part you products, it's part of the products she has that okay. i order from her uh -huh. and also some fiber that i put in the drink so that'll take care of the afternoon for dinner if you want if you if you want to lose weight soup and salad mm -hmm. that is the best way to lose weight because it's at night yes where we're not exercising or moving around as much that 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 food sits when you're having a soup and salad it's very light but you eat before it gets dark because ah. you know what happens when things when you eat in the dark it rots you know things you know you see what happens in in corners that are dark it's same thing with the body so when you eat during that when it's light it's uh, so much healthier and then you don't have anything after your, your oh dish. occasionally you know i'll do you know i'll have a uh some bar of, of a fruit bar or something I'll, I'll do but um no like the other night i i, I did uh, stuffed cabbage mm -hmm. which i like mm -hmm. uh stuffed cabbage and uh some other vegetables um other times i will do you know half a cornish hen and i will do that with brown rice and a salad so i don't do a lot of carbs mm -hmm. that's that's the thing right and, um because you know people have now, it's harder for women to lose weight than men. For us, it's easier, for, as far as I, I know, you know. But, you know, as we get older, <laughs> body goes, yeah. so, you know, but there are some people who live a life of stress and, and they stay thin, uh, but not good for their body, not good for their, 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 their soul, uh, because it stresses you out and then it confuses you and then you, then you get angry and then you, do all things and that all becomes internal and that becomes disease you know dis-ease the word disease right. dis-ease with the environment so you know find out why you're here that's the lifetime achievement you know find out why you came here and what you're meant to do so every time i think it's over it it says no something happens and it says no do you ever crave crap sure you mean sugar stuff? Have you ever like want like potato chips or? Oh something? yes, I like potato chips. Sometimes you know it's an easy. You know it's interesting when you put potato chips out with cheeses and things like that. People go first for the for the potato chips. Yes. You know, and then I think to myself, oh God, they're cancer causing <laughs> potato chips because they're fried. You know, it's yeah. terrible for you. Uh, better to get chips that are baked rather than fried. I just got an air fryer. It's wonderful. Oh, yes. Is it good? It's fantastic. I mean, you do your thing and you have your way of doing it. But for me, it's been fantastic. It oh. makes it very easy. And I can even make French fries without oil. And so I can make that way? They, And there's a way to make them crispy. I can tell you how to do it. And it really works. Oh, oh my. And fried sweet potatoes. I mean, there's, there's ways to do it without oil. That is, but so, Teo. How did food 
was food always a passion for you? Was it a passion yeah. for you because yeah. of well, your yeah. mother? Was it, how did food become no, so- She wasn't important? a good cook. Oh. <laughs> Mommy was not a good cook. She cooked, bless her, she cooked everything too, too much. You know, okay. vegetables got soggy and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you are what you eat. You know what they say, that old cliche? You are what you eat. Um, I think because, I, I think it came from Milton Katsalas. He was my mentor. He was the most, not him, but he was very disciplined when it came to other, his students. Mm -hmm. And so, because I know how to cook, uh -huh. I know what works for me. Um, like this Sunday, you know, it's not my Easter, because Greek Easter is not till May, but my friends called me up and they said, can you cook us a leg of lamb? Mm -hmm. So I used to remember, you know, you used to barbecue lamb, right? You put the lamb on top with rosemary and your other garlic and, and serves. And then on the bottom, you, you have a tray. And in that tray, you put potatoes. And around the potatoes, you put the coal so it doesn't get into the, the dish. But the drippings from the, from the lamb and the rosemary and the garlic, I have to tell you, it is so delicious. And so that's what I'm thinking of doing. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna cook a, a wonderful Greek cake that is made, we call it in Greek, rivani, and it's made, um, it's made with, um, here I go, I'm having a, a moment, um, uh, a semolina. It's made with semolina and coconut and oranges and eggs. So it's a wheat cake. Yeah, and then you make a syrup and the syrup is honey, and some sugar and rose water in, in, in hot water and you boil that and then you simmer it. And then you take it off and when it cools down, you pour it over the cake. And now that cake absorbs all that sweetness mm. and the smell of rosemary and, and the smell, not rosemary, smell of rose water. And I have to tell you, it's a phenomenal cake. And then you slice oranges that, you've, and that you glaze on top. And that's what I'm going to do for Easter on Sunday. Wow, where where do you, where does your inspiration come for these things? Um, like putting a whole meal together, is it just is it instinctual? Um, yeah, because when I go home, like when I used to go home, my parents were around. My father used to get excited. What have you brought now? What are we going to have tonight? Because the routine of my mother's cooking, you know, after a number of years, you go, can we have something different? So <laughs> I would come in with all this and they knew because I spend money buying good food and, you know, do hors d'oeuvres and that prosciutto and figs and, and do all that, that, that he wasn't used to. But, oh my God, he used to get so excited. Now when I go home and I stay with my brother and, and my brother's wife, Helen is a wonderful cook. But she, she said to me one day, um, what makes you a chef for me a cook is that you don't look at cookbooks. You come from your imagination. I have to look at a cookbook. That's the difference, you know, because not all cookbooks uh, will work out accordingly. They look good, but you have to learn, is this enough? Is this too much? What works? And so slowly but surely, I've cooked for enough people to know that no one's ever left my house sick. So <laughs> I'm sure that's true. How, so how did you transfer what you do to your cookbook? I went in my head and I didn't, because I, although I did have a friend, she used to follow me every Saturday. She and I used to have dinner together. 
And she used to follow me around with a piece of pa pen <laughs> and write these recipes because they were spontaneous. <laughs> what are you eating tonight? I said, I don't know. I want to do like a Thai sauce with, with a, a grilled fish, you know. So I'd mix things together. So there were 16 recipes there. Then I went in my head and I said, okay, when I make the Greek lemon soup, how do I do it? I do this, I do that, I do that. Then became, so then I did all the soups that I usually make. Then I did all the Greek things that I usually make. But in my mind, instead mm -hmm. of having to make it first and see if it works, I knew it worked because I'd done it a number of times. You know? Right. Like pastizzo or, 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 or mm -hmm. uh, 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 you I love doing stuffed vegetables, you know. Mm -hmm. But the way I do stuffed vegetables is the way the Arabs do it, which is, you know, to put raisins in and, 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 and also to put um, um, sunflower, uh, not sunflower, um, pine, pine nuts in. So I'll, I'll do the meat and the, and, and the rice, I'll put the pine nuts raisins and mint. Mint is very important. I love mint. Gives it a wonderful aroma. Mm -hmm. And then I, I take a whole cabbage and I'll put it in hot water and leave it there for about 15 minutes. Take it out, drain it, and then the leaves just peel off. They just peel off. It was a thing I found, discovered one day by accident. And then I will do it. And, and then I will put, uh, I've made some broth, some chicken broth. And then I'll fill the pan uh, with about, I don't know, four cups of chicken broth. And then that'll steam it all. And then that becomes, and then I serve it with yogurt. And that's uh, my Greek uh, stuffed vegetables. Wow. Mm. So, so food, why is food important? Because it makes you feel better <laughs> the next day. So, did you eat this way through the pandemic? Were you eating as healthy and- Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I made sure when it was coming, I went and shopped. I bought a lot of grain stuff, a lot of pasta stuff. Um, and then, you know, when they started using, uh, then I would have, Friends sometimes would drop by and they say, I'm at the store, do you need anything? Things like that. And then they right. would do things to me. Or then I would use Instacart and get uh, that I wasn't that happy with them. So, but that used to come in. And so I would make like, you can make soup and I'll make a lentil soup or I'd make a, a white bean soup with shiitake mushrooms, mm. uh, then put it in a plastic bag, seal it and freeze it. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have to keep cooking. Right. So defrost it in the morning. And then that would be my dinner with my with the salad. I made more soup last year than I've made in my entire life put together. It seemed mm. like I was just making soup all because I was doing that. Then I'd freeze it and then I'd have meals. So Teo, do you have a daily routine? Uh, you get so much done. You're so accomplished. Do you have when you get when you hit get get out of bed? Do you have a daily routine? I guess I get into my meditation first thing. I drink a bottle of water, small bottle of water first thing just cleanses things mm -hmm. and I go into my meditation meditation half an hour I put it all together so when I get up I'm already prepared. excuse me one second when I'm interrupting when you meditate how, do you have a place do you have a seat do you, my you bed. no I go back into my bed mm -hmm. sometimes I'll go and wash my brush my teeth first are you lying down or are you sitting up I'm lying on a, two pillows and um, so I have what they call pulsors Pulses are uh, like hundreds of thousands of microcrystals in these. I've been getting balanced for the last 38 years. This woman comes, she's coming again on Sunday. What happens is uh, I'll put the, the pulses here over my eyes with a wet cloth. Since I was a kid, my mother used to bring me a wet cloth 
because I, I wanted to wake up properly and she'd put it across my eyes so I'd be ready for school instead of going, oh, I'm tired, and I'd wake up. So I'd have a, a wet cloth there. I would put the pulses in there for my eyes, one here. I put another pulse here in my throat and then at the solar plexus. And then I would put one on my spine and two on my uh, on the back of my legs and, and then two, one in each hand. And then I go into my meditation. That's what I do. That's how I start. And so when I get up, once I get up, I mean, I love watching my news and having breakfast in bed, uh, kind of indulgent, but uh, it, it works for me. Um, and then I get, we'll go downstairs and I'll start the day with what I want to do. But I know uh, I've got a list of things I want to do. And I achieve those in one day. Wow. And then so, I so what might so what might your list say for the day? Um, exercise, mm -hmm. um, the bank, mm -hmm. um, food, mm -hmm. getting prepared for that, um, bills, mm -hmm. uh, study on because uh, I'm doing my podcast, and I uh, we'll uh, talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that becomes important to me. So when I'm ready, it may be two o'clock in the afternoon by the time I do everything else, and then at two o'clock, usually between two and six. I will be writing about my podcast. And so I finished the recording of it. Now I'm just waiting for my manager to put the special effects in, sound effects. And then that'll be phase one. It could be two out of that. I wrote 16 pages. What is your podcast about, Dale? It's really about the discovery of, of the Trojan treasure and how that was lost and where it was stolen and who has it today and that it's worth a billion dollars. And in other words, Schliemann, who was the archeologist who became uh, one of the richest men in the 19th century, he, was, he wanted to become an archeologist because he believed that in, in the uh, book of, of Homer's uh, Iliad, it was a map to finding Troy. And that's what he did. And he found Troy and he found the treasure, except he was, the treasure he found belonged to another century. And then he wanted to go to the next step, which is where did the, the Trojan War start? It was in a place in Greece called Mycenae. And in Mycenae, he found some of the most magnificent treasures ever found in archeology, span the golden masks you know, of Agamemnon, he thought, the mm -hmm. golden mask of all these kings that he found that hadn't been touched since 1300 BC. And so my thing is, and, but he un, I think he unleashed a curse that can, that started back in ancient time. So I'm exploring the curse as well. And so the second phase of the, the, the podcast will be him finding the treasures of Mycenae and all that gold and how he found it. And then the next after that will be um, the curse. And then the third phase is Ulysses. Ulysses came home after 10 years of war. And then he, was, he, he got lost along the way. It's an interesting- Is this story. the Odyssey? Is it, yes. Mm -hmm. the odyssey but you know in today's Ithaca they say where is Ithaca today where, where was home? well it's not it's it uh, what happened in, to ancient Ithaca um, is what this story is going to be about where does the real Ithaca lie and what happened to it that that they had to move because of a major earthquake they had to move and they made another island called that Ithaca so it's all about unraveling mysteries, which I love. And it's also archaeology again. But um, I'm going to put it out to people. Uh, I haven't, I don't know what I'm going to call it yet. But ah, I put the challenge out to people, go. Yes, I would like, uh, I would like to put, uh, when I do the podcast, I'd like to have a title for it, a name for it. And I, and I thought I'd ask my 
my friends and fans of if they could come up with the title of what the podcast should be called. And the per person I would use, I would give them some form of a prize, whatever uh -huh. that may be. So I thought I'd put it on, on social media and say, help me find out, because I want to get them involved as well. And um, my manager's thrilled with the recording. So it came out well. Um, that's another thing about having written your own material. It's the phrasing. It's where you take the pause. Where, how does it, how does it, you know, when you come to a point and people are listening, you hold it. If you listen to Obama, one of the great reasons Obama is such a great orator mm -hmm. is because he knows his pauses. Mm -hmm. If you notice, he'll throw out a statement and then it will land mm -hmm. and then he'll go on. But he knows exactly about language. Mm -hmm. so if you want to be a good speech teller, then understand pauses and understand the language. I love this. So, okay, last questions. Is there any place, Teo, that you haven't been that you still dream to visit, to journey to? Well, I wanted to go to China, mm -hmm. but not anymore. Uh, because of all that's happened, and I'm not crazy about this particular regiment of Chinese in charge, not the Chinese people in our country or Chinese people in general. They're very nice, but you know, they're a little bit aloof because they're not close. You know, they're, they're different from Westerners, but I just don't like the way they treated people, the way they, the COVID has come through. I don't like the way they're, they're treating people who are not uh, exactly Chinese and how those have those secret camps. So, you know, I studied Chinese art, so I know a lot about its history and I was, you know, I wanted to go, but not anymore, you know. So if I did want to go somewhere, maybe South America, I'd like to go to Argentina. I'd like to explore the whole uh, world of the Nazis there, and how they escaped, because I, I find that whole history uh, absolutely amazing how because I believe Hitler escaped, he wasn't killed uh, during that time, because um, they had what they call ratlins, which are rat lines, and how they used to sneak out of the countries through submarines and get onto another place, catch another plane, and then go to South America. And there is a place down there in Argentina of where it is known that Hitler and his wife, because they, 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 the two people they found that had shot themselves to death, they were burnt. And that the reason why they know it wasn't Hitler was because the foot was a club foot and Hitler did not have a club foot. Oh, so what about that business, you know? So um, I find that fascinating, that story and how they escaped down there and how they were about to start um, the Fourth Reich. You know, so I want to go down to Argentina uh, for that reason uh, and explore those areas of where, and see if that place which used to, it's a museum now you can go there but you know um, wow hmm. you know, this is mind-blowing i have not heard this before oh. um i mean i've i've heard rumors but nothing that made as much sense for for his yeah um yeah. and the way they 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 covered him and um how they took out i don't know how many how many tons of gold that they stole you know saying that it disappeared you know, it's like, how did the, the, the Schliemann gold, how did that disappear out of Germany in the Second World War? Well, in 1994, two curators from the Pushkin Museum, uh, Kinsha and Kosnov, the names were, they were going down into this 
to get to the museum across the street they want to shred some material and one piece of paper fell down and when they picked it up it said Schliemann's gold and one said to the other what is Schliemann gold doing here it's supposed to be destroyed in the second world war so they found the number of the box and you know because the Russians took a lot of three million pieces of treasures they took to, back back to Russia because mm -hmm. the Germans also destroyed a lot of Russian mm -hmm. art during mm -hmm. that time and so it just and they hid it and these two people surfaced that treasure and and embarrassed the russians and they said they were afraid they were going to be you know killed because of doing that so instead they sent it the photographs to the um uh, the arts magazine the american history and arts magazine and that's where it surfaced in 1994 now now the russians the pushkin they've surfaced the material now there's an exhibit on it but it's so interesting that that's where it ended up, you know, and it's worth a billion dollars. So that's what I'm exploring. Journey. That's my that's my input for your for your podcast title, "Treasured Journey." Two oh. words you use a lot, and uh, just because I love treasure, because people love the word treasure. Mm -hmm. Treasure, uh, yeah, treasure journey, because it doesn't have to be. I don't mean treasure; it doesn't have to be gold. Mm -hmm. A treasure could could amount to some. Um, like there's one of the stories I want to talk about about the um, uh, the time of, of uh, Louis the 14th, 15th, 16th, and how the Louis the 16th during the the time of where they were cutting heads off in in, in the 18th century, um, there was a son uh, of 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 um, Louis the 16th and, and Marie Antoinette, and mm -hmm. and when they killed them, they put the son in the, in the tower, and so what happened years later, they said that he escaped. What they had done, because the nurse said, I helped him escape. And so they believe that this particular line of heritage continued on in France. But no, what happened was the doctor who took care of him mm -hmm. cut his heart out, the child, after he died. And he put it in a piece of paper and put it in his pocket and left with it. Eventually he ended up in a church in a, in a, in a glass case in water and then the church caught fire and in that fire someone found a piece of petrified wood they said what is that wood they said we're not quite sure but he said you know remember the dauphin but yeah but the dauphin escaped he says no people believe also that he could have died did he die did he escape so then they they did the dna on and they found dna on the on the piece and it was a heart it was the dauphin's heart because they took the the mother's hair marie antoinette and had the dna because they couldn't have done it in that time. They took right. the mother's hair and they took the DNA from this from the heart, and that's how they knew that he died in the tower. Wow. And he never escaped. So all these people who thought they were part of a lineage were not. It was a lie. Wow. So that's a treasure. That's a treasure. You know, it's all those. So there's there's so much to discuss, and then of course we're constantly finding things in Egypt, which I just love going. So it's. Okay, before you go, everyone will kill me if I don't have you tell one fabulous showbiz story. So a showbiz treasure that you can dig up for us right now. <laughs> you have so many. I've heard, I've heard a few myself, but I won't prompt you. Um, well, um, a, a favorite person that you've met, a, a, a favorite encounter, a favorite meal, I don't know. Well, uh, I suppose, you know, I've told the story about Omar Sharif and how much I, I just got, when he came into the room, he was so aloof and so cold. 
I said, uh, hello, I'm, I'm Teo. And he goes, oh, hello. And he kind of, not, not interested. What, what year was this approximately, Teo? This was in the early 90s, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I said to Omar, um, uh, so he, we, we went into rehearsal and, and he says, by the way, when, when, you, when you do this line and I hit you and you go flying over the table, I want you to be careful of the table. It's 18th century. Do not destroy it. You know, you understand what I'm saying? I said, yes, but I'm not going to go flying anyway. He says, what do you mean? I said, listen, Omar, if you hit me in the beginning of the show and I go down crashing over a table, then you and I have nowhere else to go. And from that moment, he went, I love you. Oh. And from that moment, every day, it was <laughs> champagne and caviar. I mean, for six weeks, I worked with him every day. And I'll tell this story about him. It's not a bad story, but I knew because he died of dementia, Alzheimer's, I think. And while we were working, um, he couldn't remember the lines and he started getting upset. So the director looked at me and he says, take him, you two get along well. He said, take him back behind the curtain and, and help me. I said, okay. So I go in and, and Omar, I said, let's go back. So Omar starts sobbing on my shoulder, started sobbing. This, this guy that I used to love from uh, Mission in, uh, from uh, Lawrence of Arabia, and he's crying. He says, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. I said, oh, my, you've got a, such a wonderful history. What are you embarrassed about? So it's just the lines, you know. Didn't realize it was the beginnings of the memory. So I said, why don't we do it first? On, we, I'll tell the director to do the, me on the first take, and that way we can repeat it enough. I'll make a couple of mistakes that we can have to do it over. That will help you out. And so we went out and I said to the director, why don't you shoot me first and then we'll work it out and it's fine. And it goes, oh, okay. So by the time I finished the take, because it was a long take and it was like three pages of dialogue, Omar um, was there and he finished it. So from that moment, you know, there was a special bond between us. And mm -hmm. so he invited me to Paris. You must come and stay with me in Paris. Oh, God. And I never did. I never did because I couldn't afford to go because you know he lived a whole I you know I wasn't working that much at that time. Wow. No. But uh, you know it's a, a wonderful memory of of uh, because you know even when I go to Egypt and I met Dr. Hawass who was such a dick, uh, <laughs> I would say to him, um, so uh, Dr. Hawass, uh, he says yes. What is it you want? And I said, well, have you found a new discovery? He says no. What else? I said, have you? Is Omar in town? No. What else? Well, is he in Paris? No, what else? That's how he was. He never gave me anything. And I thought that that would have been a shoe in for me, knowing Omar, to get into, to see um, Seti, the first tomb. And he says, if you want to see the tomb, it'll cost you 3000 So thank God I waited, you know, five years later, and now you can go in free, but at $50 to get in. But it's one of the greatest tombs. Anyway, so, but that's my, I mean, I can give you celebrity stories, but then we'd have, we'd have problems. <laughs> we have problems. Well, I don't want to have problems. But what I do want to have. Yes. Okay, the last time we had this interview, we did this. I, we were in your home and you promised me a meal, and I have a lot of witnesses. I'm saying, Teo, that I, I'm double vaccinated and I'm in efficacy. I want one of those Teo meals. One of, one of these. Like, what would you like? I, I would leave that to you. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I, I, um, I wouldn't want to hinder. What you're, not a, you're, not, you're not a strict vegetarian, are you? No. No, okay. No. <laughs> no, carnivore uh, all the way. No. Okay, so maybe I'll, 
I'll, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll do it all Greek. Oh, I love it. Maybe I'll start with the Greek lemon soup. Oh, I maybe love then it. get into moussaka, mm. and then do some of my desserts. Mm, and so you leave one happy lady. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Could you? I have a request. Can yeah. you do it in a way that would be non-damaging to my waistline? Like, show me how to eat well without oh, regretting, well, without regret. Yeah, well, the soup is not fattening. The moussaka is not because you'll just be having it with a salad. So you're not. And then the dessert, well, that's the final thing. You just say, I'll take a little piece of that. A little sliver. Yeah, just for the taste of it. That's that type of thing, and then you'll be fine. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. So Thank fun. you for the people coming on board and listening to this uh, tale. Uh, but thank you, Vicky. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And to you, Teo. I'm going to go back and read the comments. I wasn't looking. I was listening to you. But if there's anything that people have questions, I'll tag you so that you can address them. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And bye, everyone. Thank you. Have a wonderful Easter. American uh, Easter. American Easter. Yes. And you too. Well. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.